Episode three of Jalen Jacoby, the after show is proudly presented by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. Welcome to Jalen and Jacoby, the after show, the last dance is presented by State Farm. Jalen Rose, you are a lifelong Pistons fan. We just watched the bad boy Pistons destroy the Bulls and then ultimately lose to the Bulls and walk off the floor. What did it feel like? To sit in your man cave it hurt. and watch that all unfold. It hurt. It, it really hurt. And uh, for those that don't realize that probably remember when Ray Allen left Boston to go to Miami, the Pistons won a couple of championships with Dennis Rodman, traded him to the Spurs. He didn't work out there. Big fish, small pond. And then he got traded to the Bulls. And initially, there was an animosity that I had towards him, but it didn't outweigh everything that he did for my squad, even though he joined our rival. And for them to accept him and allow him to go from being that shy player that gave effort to a rock star that had a lot of tattoos and a lot of piercings and things of that nature and to embrace him into the culture to a point where he now enabled the Bulls to have what I believe is the greatest starting five and closing five of all time. This is the best closing five of all time. Air Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, Ron Harper of all time. And just to see that take fruition, and when we use the term rival, that's what the Pistons were. So the dislike was real. I was with our squad when we walked off and didn't shake their hand. The Celtics did that to us the year before. Nobody talked about it. Isaiah stopped Kevin McHale, for you historians out there. And so – it, it, it does make me ask a lot of what if questions. And it also makes me appreciate the Pistons interrupting the Lakers, Celtics, and Bulls popularity party in the late 80s and the 90s. That was one thing that was so well explored in this is because you had the Showtime Lakers and you had Larry Bird and the Celtics and then you had the Michael Jordan, his airness, this rising star and the Pistons just, they just didn't have the same sort of like, like marketability, the same sort of like, like joy of basketball to watch. But one thing that episode three specifically focused on was how Dennis Rodman in his early career embodied that. And as, as he said, he learned that in Detroit, that sort of troublemaking and rebounding and role playing. And we know Dennis Rodman from the outside. We've seen the looks and dating Madonna and Carmen Electra and getting in trouble and the piercing, the tattoos. But very quickly, Jalen, from the people inside the league, from the fraternity, what was his reputation and what was it like playing against him? How about this, Jacoby? My second year in the league, I was the starting point guard for the Denver Nuggets. We played against Rodman in the Spurs in the playoffs the year Dennis the year David Robinson scored 70. This was the year he won MVP, Robinson, and they had the best record in the league. Based on matchups as a point guard, my role 
was to basically start at the four and box out Dennis Rodman in the playoff game. That was my role. That was my role. I was straight trying to face guard this dude. Shot go up, just try to face it. He was so strong. And he got right tackle. Ball so fast. <laughs> just throw me right out of the way, grab the rebound. <laughs> like I was holding this dude by his elbows, both of my arms. Like I was literally holding him. And all of a sudden he just threw me out of the way, got the offensive rebound, kicked it out to somebody for a three. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> and so he was, he is the best rebounding player that didn't play center in the history of the NBA. He or Charles Barkley. Both of those dudes just like had a nose for the ball. You know, it's like when when your kids want sweets, they find them. I bet QB on the cabinets. Oh yeah, oh yeah. like they find it, right? Find it. That's the same thing he did with rebounds. It was crazy, and he led the league so many years ago. But he wasn't just like getting ten. He was like getting like sixteen. He's like getting twenty. He's having like. 30 rebound games and you can play grade D, but the possession doesn't end either until you get a steal, the ball goes out of bounds or you get the rebound. And to have a guy that's going to grab every rebound, it's just just crazy how that changes possessions. And to go against them in game seven in 1998, maybe I should Google it right now. I swear he had 25 rebounds. I swear he did. That's probably just what it felt like. And yeah. Jalen, you've done such a good job explaining to us what it feels like to try to stop Dennis Robin from getting a rebound. And it's now time to bring in somebody who knows what it feels like to tell the story of these bulls, to only have 10 hours to tell the story. The person behind what you just watched, we <laughs> now bring into the show the director of The Last Dance, the maestro himself, Jason Ayer, is going to join us. Right now, the Jalen and Jacoby after show, The Last Dance presented by State Farm. Let's bring All the director. All of these dudes is trending. Rodman trending. Bad Boys trending. Dumars underrated. Benny the Microwave underrated. But I tell you, man, that dude, Scottie Pippen, when he started to become a point forward, Jacoby, and an all-star and an all-NBA player, it was over for us. Just like we saw the Bulls when they went from our friend and colleague, Doug Collins, to Phil Jackson. With real guidance and the right coach, NBA teams go from good to great. Just like real help from your State Farm agent can make all the difference in protecting what matters most. Jalen, who are some of the greatest coaches in NBA history off the top of your head? Some of the greatest coaches in NBA history, you start the early days, you have to mention Red Arback. As you fast forward that to the 80s, you got to think about Pat Riley, shout to KC Jones as a member of the Celtics head coaching staff, Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, the work that he's done there, Doc Rivers, what he's done with the Celtics and the Clippers. There have been some really influential coaches, Phil Jackson winning 11 championships with the Bulls and then going on to the Los Angeles Lakers. And my guy, Larry Legend. That's right. I said it. The only player to win MVP, executive of the year, 
and coach of the year. I don't know if that'll ever be done again. Well, it will never be done again. And you also will shout out Larry Burks. He gave you a big contract, Jalen. Yes. Big contract. That's why yes. he is mentioned as one of the yes. greatest coaches of all time. And just like those coaches took their teams to the next level, a State Farm agent can do the same for you. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help guide you through whatever life throws your way. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're all in the same boat, stuck in our homes during a quarantine, joining our friends on Zoom calls. We all know there's a lot going on right now in the world, and we're all shopping online as we stay at home. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subjects to change, restrictions apply. And now it is time, like we do always, to bring in the director of this brilliant documentary, Jason Ayer. Jason, welcome back to the program. It's an honor that you take the time to spend with us during this. My number one question before we get into episode three, which was so riveting, what's it like? to have the entire world obsess over this documentary that you've obsessed over for so many years? Um, it's great, especially now uh, that people can, you know, lacking sports, obviously we argue about stuff. We, we agree about stuff. We disagree about stuff, but, but sports is kind of what connects us, right? Especially on Monday mornings, we argue about what, what went on the night before um, in a lot of the big sports. So for this, for my crew and I, it's, it's really gratifying to know that we can provide that, that kind of a dialogue these days. It, it's surreal because we've been sitting in a cave for two years, not knowing, you know, we've been making this meal for two years in a kitchen and we don't know how it tastes because we've had it every single day. So for people to actually have it now and, and seem to be enjoying it, it's, uh, it's a thrill. It's great. It tastes good. It tastes so good. <laughs> it is delicious, but we all know it's going to turn a bit sour from our co-host Jalen Rose. Right after episode three, when we get to episode four, but Jalen, just explain to the audience just just what this section, what this time, what this rivalry between the bad boys and the bulls meant to you. As I wear a Detroit Pistons hat right now during this episode, Jason, I felt like I needed to go put it on and revisit the fact that my Pistons were that deal. And as I look at my phone right now. All of these things are trending. Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, all of these all-time great players, Phil Jackson, the head coach. What made you feel like episode three should focus on the player in Detroit we affectionately known as the worm who became a rock star, Dennis Rodman, with the Bulls? Not yet Rodzilla, still now the worm in episode three, but that'll change uh, in a few weeks. Um, we we identified the characters that we were going to profile uh, in the 10 hours. We knew that. We knew it was going to be Michael, of course, but then Scotty and Dennis and Phil and Tony Kukoc and Steve Kerr. So we tried to look at, we knew that the spine of the doc was that 97, 98 season. So we tried to look at the season and say, all right, where were the significant points for each of those characters in the season? So for, for Michael, let's, we're setting the table. We're saying who they are. Episode one is going to be primarily Michael. Episode two, Scotty's gone. Well, why is he gone? 
let's examine why he signed that contract, why he signed that bad deal, and so on. Episode three is when Michael needs a number two uh, to fi- to fill in for Scotty, and up steps an unlikely candidate in Dennis Rodman. And then you'll see down the line as we go that that through that spine of the 97-98 season, that really dictated where um, we chose to go into those backstories. So episode three for Rodman, it's right at, at that phase of the season where he was um, really stepping up. Well, he was really stepping up in Scottie Pippen's absence. He sort of became the number two to Jordan, and the relationship with Jordan became stronger as we felt through the documentary. But it did seem like the return of Scottie Pippen sort of imbalanced Rodman a little bit. Now, that came through in the film, but what was it like talking to him about that period, and what insight do you have about sort of why that happened? Well, we had done, I mean, as with all of these guys, and ESPN did a great 30 for 30 on Dennis uh, themselves. Um, but Dennis, so many of these stories about all these guys are about fathers and sons and, and how mm. they relate to their dads and how their dads shaped them. And Dennis's father's name was Philander or is Philander. <laughs> That's his name. <laughs> and he is appropriately named. He has over 20 children. The man has two dozen children. What? Is that his born name or is this like a Meta World Peace thing? His name is Philander. What? Verb. <laughs> So, oh my goodness. and Dennis How never knew kids? him. Dennis How many never, kids? Over 20. Wow. Um, with Dennis being one of them, of course. Uh, but Dennis never knew him. And Dennis was seeking a father figure his entire life. He found that father figure in Chuck Daly uh, in Detroit. And then uh, when Detroit cast him off, when the Pistons dynasty broke up, he found it again um, in Chicago with Phil after a stint in San Antonio. So, we had done, you know, a whole story about um, what makes Dennis Dennis and, and, um, and why, you know, I should say authority figure because it's not Michael Jordan was not a father figure to Dennis, mm. but Dennis, like a crazy kid, needed someone to tell him what to do and where to be. So, yeah, he's going to be nuts. He's going to go crazy, but he's going to be home by dinner, you know, so <laughs> he can go to Vegas, he can go whatever, but when the chips are down, he's going to actually behave. So he's going to be running around the neighborhood all day, you know, throwing rocks at people and, 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 you know, you know, terrorizing the neighbor's pets and all that, but he's going to be home by dinner if you need him to be home. And and he just needs a figure of authority. And for Michael, and for Dennis, Michael was that guy. So then when Scotty comes back, like Dennis says, <laughs> he says, we were like the three amigos and I was the third wheel. Well, the three amigos got along a lot better than, than Michael, Scotty and Dennis did because Dennis was kind of an outcast on that team. Mm. Um, so he just kind of went off the rails. He's an emotionally fragile guy. I think that, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, those tattoos and the piercings and all that, I think that's all armor. I think that Dennis yeah. is a lot softer underneath. So he found finally he had gotten approval from Michael and Michael needed him every day. And then when Scotty came back, all of a sudden he wasn't needed every day in that way. And he just kind of went a little bit uh, off the rails. Absolutely. And going to Chicago, it exposed a, a different side of Rodman because, as you mentioned, in Detroit, he was a shy, quiet kid, basically, who wanted to just play hard. And then he had some emotional issues where he was found in the back of his truck, basically with a shotgun. And people were wondering if he was going to take his own life to a guy that became one of the best defenders and rebounders of all time. So can you describe why it was important to put that montage of the beauty of Dennis Rodman describing how he rebounded the basketball? That was um, 
how he learned. That was our editor, Abai Sofsky's uh, genius. I came in one, one morning and, and we had discussed what that section was going to be, but he didn't tell me that he was going to do that quick montage with Dennis saying all that stuff, click clack over here, over there. And I remember just being floored. Like that's what I knew. We have a team. We have the dream team of editors on this thing. Like people who it's one thing to, to tell an editor, this is how it's going to be. And you leave the room, you come in, it's done the way you want it to be done. It's a different level when you tell them what you want, you leave the room, you come in, it's better than what you wanted. Mm. So that's what happened. I vividly remember that morning um, when we watched that. And I also remember it during the, during the interview. I have said before that interviewing Dennis Rodman is like trying to interview a feral cat. Like he, he just, he's not looking in the same place. He's got those big shades on it. it every other sentence was going back to Kim Jong-un and how he's going to be in the history books. I'm like, no, man, we're talking about the Pistons. <laughs> no Korea. No, no, no. Stay with me. We, you know, we got in, he arrived. We chased him for months and months. I know he was late. <laughs> so. He shows up two hours late. <laughs> We're at the, the London West Hollywood and he shows up two hours late and I'm in the lobby and my ass is hurting because I've been sitting on the same bench for two hours waiting for this guy. <laughs> he gets out of the car, walks over. I felt like a ghost. He just walked straight past me. I was like, Hey, Dennis, how you doing? <laughs> and it's like he just woke up and it was like noon or one o'clock, but he had driven up from, uh, from Orange County and, um, he said, what's this for again? We're in the elevator. And I was like, it's a 10-hour dock about your Bulls team. Like, how do you not – we told you and told you. The same you thing you. it was about that made you agree and to get in the car to drive here two hours late. Exactly. It's about American so, North Korean relations. That's what this is about. He's like, 10 hours, huh? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'll give you 10 minutes. Now, <laughs> I have every, – every page of questions I have is an hour. I have 11 pages for this guy, and he's saying 10 minutes. So – he sits down. I'm just kind of shooting the shit with him. And he says, um, I need a, a tuna sub from Subway and some chamomile tea. It was like, it was like <laughs> Chappelle sending the guys for a sugar cookie in, in Queens. It was like, you can't, unless you pass this test, you cannot do this interview. So we got him the tuna sub. We got him the chamomile tea and he sat down for three hours, but he's a great, that is a difficult guy to, to, to interview. Well, first of all, I love tuna subs from Subway, and I do want to know exactly what he had on his tuna sub. But tuna we'll, save, we'll save that for another time. Oh, no. We can save that for another time. Now, before I'm going to take people behind the curtain because we're very transparent here on Jalen and Jacoby. Before we started recording, you were like, listen, as much as we talk about the music during these interviews, the more happy I will be. And one music selection that you made during this episode made me personally very happy because I love the Beastie Boys so much, and that was the use of the maestro for the Dennis Rodman montage. And the maestro is sort of like a, it doesn't have a genre. It's rock and roll. It's rap. It's chaotic, but it works, which I feel like encapsulated Dennis Rodman. Tell me about the thinking behind the selection of this track for this montage. You always want to go with something that that checks all the boxes. So it sounds good. uh, It's of the era and it's not too obvious. You know, I mean, sometimes we use obvious songs, but it's almost tongue in cheek. But for this, it was like, we're not going to use what you want. We're not going to use, it was going to be the maestro or professor booty for this one. And you're right. Is that they're not rock. They're not rap. They're, they're not all the, they, at the time in, in the early nineties, that check your head album was, was it, 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 it was earth shattering to me when I saw it. Cause it was like, what genre is this? They invented a new one. And that's what Dennis did too. So it seemed to match up um, really well. And, and the ultimately the choice was because of that lit. Can I swear on this? 
Of yes, course sir. you can. That lyric when he, Of course you can. Six million people watch episode one. <laughs> you do whatever I'm you want. Ready. Get I'm naked. only quoting them. But that that point when um I think it's Mike D in the chorus says, Yeah, you mother I am all that. Yes. And Dennis was screaming at the crowd. I was like, boom, that's that's the moment. That's the feeling I want to have when I watch this thing. So so that's what we went with. And that was an Abai thing too. Abai was kind of our our Dennis editor. Um so so shouts to him for for putting that together. And also there's a couple other tunes, Jacoby. Mm. Tell us Jason, Big Pun, Kumo D. We had Big Pun and Kumo D were in episode four. And um we had Prince um Party Man in, in episode three, which I, I was surprised we could get. And that's another one where it's like you don't want to go kiss or when doves cry or something too obvious. Mm. Um, but I love All Hail the New King in Town is was the refrain of that song. Um Young and old gather around, everybody hail the new king in town. That was Michael in, in the late 80s. Like this was clear that the torch had been passed from Magic and Bird. Doug Collins leading into that montage says, uh, we had the best player. We now had the best player. So there was one sort of section of this episode, which I found was really relevant to today's sort of media climate and today's NBA. And that was when they were discussing the hounding of Michael Jordan about his future, not just in the league, but his future career and his relationship with the front office. And is he going to come back? And is Phil going to come back? And every time he went to, had to answer the same questions. And we've seen this recently with LeBron over the years and KD most recently and soon to be Giannis. So when you were cutting that and you were talking to Michael about that, like how much parallel do you think there was between that happening then and that now? And what are the differences? There's a lot of parallel now. If anything, it's harder now for these guys. I saw Draymond talking this week about how KD wouldn't really give up much um, when they were together about that. And so the questions all went to them. Uh, and Michael could have done that as well. Um, you know, I love KD. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to denigrate him, but Michael stood there and patiently took, every question, but he's so smooth and so savvy. He knows how to answer it without it being too boring that you can't put it in the paper, but not giving away enough that he's going to really reveal anything about his future that he hasn't revealed before. Someone told me, and it's true um, because I've experienced it, that Michael's one of those guys who's got so, such amount of charisma. He's so charismatic that he can tell you no, and you feel like you just got something from him. <laughs> so he's, he, at the end of that montage, he's standing around all this press and he's saying, you're going to get the same answer every time. And the guy says, so you're coming back next year or not? And he shakes his head and everybody laughs. And he says, I love you guys. And he walks away. And I guarantee you all 12 of those guys thought they had a great interaction with Michael that day, but they didn't mm -hmm. get anything. That was a no, but they felt like they got something. Well, Tony Kukoc recently came out and felt like the documentaries went hard on Jerry Krause. And as a guy who was the architect of this great dynasty, I felt like he actually became the scapegoat for Jerry Reinsdorf, who was really the owner and actually the puppet master and pulling these strings and allowing that to happen. So what type of feedback have you gotten based on those relationships? Well, Tony um, certainly has a, a place in his heart for, for Jerry because Jerry's one found him. And, and Jerry worked night and day for over a year, years to get Tony on the Bulls. Even when they drafted him in 90, they still didn't get him there until well after the 92 Olympics. So Jerry put his heart and soul into that. So Tony uh, justifiably has a soft spot for him. 
I, um, that's one of the only things we've been really lucky with, with reaction to the project so far, but, but the fact that people either feel that Jerry is, is the villain, because I don't think that he is, I, I think that he is, was the architect of this and, and like him or not, he's polarizing, but he is the architect or was the architect of these teams. Every single piece that was put in place besides Michael was put there by Jerry Krause. Um, so anyone who felt, felt that we were deliberately vilifying him is absolutely wrong. It's just really tough because we tried to use as much archival from him as we had. Um, and Jerry passed away four months before we started shooting. He was first on my list, literally, to interview because he was so he was so vital to this entire storyline. But um, he's not there anymore. So I agree with you, Jalen. I, I do feel like um, he doesn't get enough credit. He, he As the series goes on, I, I, I am confident that he gets his due by the time we end episode 10, that people will recognize, you know, what a great GM he was. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that does hurt me when people say that, cause that wasn't our intention. We're just giving the facts as they were at the time. Well, hold up. I mean, I'm going to defend you in this project, not just because this is a brilliant project and we're old friends, but I will say that episodes ones and two very much were focused on that off season, that period in time. And during that period in time, there was no basketball to discuss. It was about, you can go 82 and no, and you still won't be the coach next year. It was about Scott mm-hmm. Pippen's surgery. So that's why the focus was more on the front office than the basketball itself. And as you see in three and four, and I imagine future episodes, you'll see a lot more actual basketball on the court. Now, yeah. something happened off the court at the end of episode three. There was a bit of a cliffhanger. You left us with a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of episode three. A gentleman by the name of Dennis Rodman in the middle of an NBA season just decides, like Jalen is quoting, that he needs a vacation. He decides he wants to go to Las Vegas, and you left us with a little cliffhanger there. What was the thinking behind sort of the the sort of the the old the old the old like sort of drama show who shot J.R. cliffhanger at the end of episode three? Well, we all know. Dennis came back. And for those of you who, spoiler alert, he comes back. He is on the team still. He's alive. He's alive and well and, and probably still sipping on some chamomile tea somewhere. But, um, you know, it's just a fun story. We, we went back and forth with that a lot. You know, he, he, the first scene that, that you'll see in the next one, we had that as the end of three originally. We, we, you know, we went through a lot of permutations with that. I just love the shot of Dennis driving away on that motorcycle behind the United Center, man. Like how I many, too. That was how many NBA players leave the arena like that? So I thought it was a good place to just cut to credits and give people a breath. And then we'll be back uh, in the top of the next hour. That's a wrap on episode three. Thanks again to director Jason Hare for joining us. Check out our next podcast, breaking down episode four of The Last Dance. That's available right now. Anywhere you listen to podcasts.